go ahead and make our way over to John chapter 4 this morning. We're going to start there, and then we're going to make our way back there in a little bit. So um, we have been looking through our core values for the last, this will be week six. This is our sixth and final core value. As we state it this way, we say we are, uh, as a church, to be active in church planting and mission sending. Uh, This is a core value for us because we believe that God loves the church and that he has ordained her to be his agent of redemption in the world. Uh, And so we see missions, we see church planting as an important strategy for for growing and multiplying disciples of Christ in Kansas and across the globe. Uh, And so this morning we're going to begin in in John chapter 4, verse 35, and we'll just read to 38 there this morning. Follow along. This is Jesus speaking. Do you not say, there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, enlighten our minds, sustain our focus this morning despite tiredness, despite so many other things that might be going through our minds. Father, remind us that we need your word like we need food. Remind us, show us, let us know this experience that it is sweeter than honey. It is to be eaten together as individuals and families and feasted upon as a covenant family together. Lord, may we see your great redemptive work in scripture this morning, and would you give us a genuine desire to see the lost be saved? It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray, amen. You ever seen one of those mosaic floors, right? They don't tend to make them very often anymore, but it's... uh, if you get real close to it, there's little tiles, green ones and red ones and blue ones, and I can name all the colors, right? But you get the idea. And, and then if you step back or look at it from a second floor from a little bit, you begin to see, oh, together they make this big, beautiful image of a sort. Now, as you know, and I keep telling you this, right? You keep saying this week after week as you don't do this, right? Uh, we tend to preach expositionally, right? We, we focus on a small section of Scripture, Uh, a single tile, if you will, of the Holy Scriptures, but today we're going to do it a little bit different. We're going to step back. We're going to see the bigger picture of redemptive history running through the Scriptures, and this means we're going to be jumping from passages to passages uh, right here from the the start for a little bit. Uh, So get ready to do that. If you need your thumb warmed up or your fingers, whatever it is you're going to be flipping through, get ready to do that, Uh, and make your way real quick over to Genesis 12, verse 1. Genesis 12, verse 1, which says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now it is certainly true that that all people everywhere, all humans are created in the image of God. 
And yet we see here God come to Abraham with this unique blessing, this particular calling, this, this purpose unique to his life at this moment, right? Uh, and I think sometimes we forget because we, we kind of know these guys. They, they seem larger than lives, and we can forget that, that Abraham was just one human on this giant planet being told by God that he had this unique role to play in redemptive history. And what a, what a strange thing it must have been for him to hear this. Uh, right? Be, because really when he gets down to it too, right? God, God is saying he's not just going to bless Abraham through this. He, he's not just going to bless Abraham's family, right? But, but something far beyond that. He, he tells Abraham that he's going to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. That's a big deal. And yet how God is going to do that, how he's going to bless the nations remain quite a mystery to Abraham. Now turn to Genesis 22 a little further. Genesis 22, verse 18, God's speaking here, and he gives a little bit more information about this mystery of of the blessing, of how he's going to bless the families of the earth. In verse 18, he says, in your offspring shall the nations of the earth be blessed. In your offsprings. You see, God is working something wonderful for the world, for all nations of the earth will be blessed through a descendant of Abraham. That's what he knows at this point. Now, let's jump a little further a lot further, actually, to Isaiah 49, uh, verse 6. And again, God is speaking here, and it's um, to and about this, this unknown servant. So that's, that's the idea here. You and I, we hear this, and we're like, yeah, that's Jesus. Uh, but, but you have to understand, when they hear it, they're just this unknown servant. They don't know who this is pointing to real well. And, and listen to this. He says, this is God speaking. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation <clears throat> may reach to the ends of the earth. <clears throat> it's not COVID. Um, you feel like you have to say that every place you go now if you cough. Anyway, uh, he said right at the end, right? let me read it again, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. In other words, what we're seeing here is that God's plan has, has always been, always been for salvation to extend to the end of the earth, not just for Israel. Because it, it'd be so easy, wouldn't it, for, for, for the people of God to want God to only bless them. That, that's just the natural way we think. That's why we're so annoyed when our tax money goes to bless some other nation, right? Of some, some kind of thing, right? It's, it's just this natural thing. And so even the, like, we are your people, God, only bless us would have been the most normal thing to happen to think about there. <clears throat> only their nation, only their tribe. And so be amazed here for God is saying, I, I'm not just the God of Israel. I am the God of the entire world. And I will redeem my people from every nation of the earth because that's where his people are to be found. Now, now let's go real quick over to Habakkuk. Um, it's near the end of the prophets. This is the, the theme verse, actually, of the seminary I went to. So I always, anyway, it jumps out at me. Uh, Habakkuk 2.14, it says, For the earth will be filled <clears throat> with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, as you go through that real quick, you don't really pick up on what's happening here, right? Because it doesn't say that God's glory is going to cover the earth like water covers the earth, right? Because that would only be... Come on, science people, what is that? 70% of the earth is covered in water? It it says, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will will cover the earth like waters cover the sea. Now, how much of the sea is covered in water? Stucky, do the math. Come on, Stucky. 
100%. All right, you're going to get that doctorate. Uh, 100%. God's glory will be known. Okay? God's glory will be known. Now let's turn to the New Testament here. Matthew 1, verse 1. <clears throat> this is one of those, uh, the genealogy verses, uh, passages, because everyone loves genealogy passages. Uh, Matthew 1, 1. The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. There's a connection there. All the way back to, to Genesis 12, right? Uh, Jesus is the son of Abraham, a, de a descendant. Now, there are roughly 2,000 years between, between that point with Abraham, uh, between Abraham and Jesus. During that time period, children are born, they grow up, they wed, they have children, uh, they die, and so on and so on, until eventually Mary gives birth to Jesus, which is hugely significant. I know you know that, right? Because Jesus is the one through whom God is going to bless the nations. And, and so Jesus is born. He is the Christ, a, a blessing to the nations. He grows up. He begins his public ministry. He does all these miracles. He's healing people. He's, he's proclaiming, uh, you know, good news. He, he calls disciples. They follow him. He's treated as a criminal. He, he gets capital punishment, nailed to a, a Roman cross where, where he, he dies. You can imagine for the disciples at this point, all hope is lost because this is the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for. And the disciples just scatter in fear for their lives, expecting, oh, this is over. And then in this mind-blowingly manner, they, they see, they talk to, they, they even touch the resurrected Jesus Christ. This is the most important event in all of history. For, for Jesus' death and resurrection this is the blessing to the nations. This is the blessing to you. This is the blessing to me. This death and resurrection is what secures and supplies the forgiveness of our sin. It also gives <clears throat> missional purpose to our lives. Now hopefully you remember the Great Commission, and I say that because we were going through it two weeks ago, so if you don't, I'm going to be depressed because you're not learning anything uh, anyway. Look at it again, Matthew 28, verse 16, and Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all, how's it end? Nations. Make disciples of all nations. Remember when God said a couple of thousand years earlier in Genesis 12 that he would be a blessing, uh, he would bless the nations of the earth? It's in Christ that the blessing comes. Now, has it ever occurred to you that, that Jesus could have miraculously just, just made the gospel proclaimed to the nations immediately, right? Especially at this day and age, we all have phones or something. Uh, every screen on the planet could suddenly broadcast the gospel, and, and you'd really cover a, quite a bit of ground at that point. Uh, it could just be broadcast in the sky. God's perfectly capable of that. Here's the gospel, and, and everyone would, would know instantly uh, of Christ and, and hear the gospel. But instead, for, for some reason, God chooses to give this amazing task of evangelism to his people to take part in. He says to us, go make disciples of all nations. You see, unless you happen to be ethnically Jewish, you're, you're not Israel by any means, right? You're, you're the nations. You're the nations. I am the nations. And through Jesus, God has blessed you. Right? It's like a giant game of, of telephone, right? The gospel has made its way from that mountain in Galilee to, to your heart. And it's an amazing thing. I'm always blown away by the way the gospel has just blazed across the planet and across years after year after year. Now let's, let's jump again. Acts 14, <clears throat> verse 23, it reads this. 
And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Paul and the others are establishing churches every place they go, and they're, uh, they're uh, putting elders into place. We see this all throughout the, the book of Acts, this, this spread that churches are growing. When they, when they do it, they don't just proclaim the gospel and like, all right, good luck, people, right? They establish these, these churches, um, and it's being done in all sorts of cultures that look very different from each other. And, and these churches help and support and plant other churches that go forward. Manhattan Prez is thousands of years later, but we are one of those churches that has been planted by other churches that came in support of that. God willing, people are here growing in faith, and we want to be a, a blessing as well to the, to the nations by supporting other church plants, by supporting missionaries as well. That, that's our desire. Now, as we move through the scriptures, you know, one mosaic tile to another, my, my goal has been to just show you this big picture of how God is working in history to bring salvation, not just to Israel, but to his elect in every single nation. And, and I hope you've seen that, that, that while it's true that it's, it's God and not you who causes salvation, that, that's a work of God alone, you, you are also not just a, a spectator, a mere spectator, right, in this? We're called to be planters, to be waterers. We are sowers and reapers. We are, the, you know, like farmers, sowing the seed of the gospel. And, and like all farmers, we should be working hard to, to plant, to, to pray for water, for growth, for a time of harvest. Now let's, let's find our way back to John 4.35. Those of you that were like, I'm not going to flip. You're already there. Uh, you're ready to go here. John 4.35. These, these words of our Lord here are, are smashed right in the middle of a a larger story that's going on. It's the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, The the disciples, right, Jesus and uh, his disciples come to this this well, and his disciples go into the village. They're going to go get some food, uh, get some takeout, and bring it back. Uh, And the woman comes out of the village at about the same time to get water at the well, and and Jesus begins this conversation with her by asking her, um, you know, he he sees this, this ministry opportunity. He's like, so if you were to die tonight, how certain are you that... That's not what he does. That's one of our like, modern questions we ask, right? What, what Jesus actually does is he begins this conversation with a simple question, can I have a drink? Um, and that question goes into discussing proper worship. He ends up confronting sin in her life, graciously, but doing so. But by the end of the conversation, she has knowledge of salvation. She believes in Christ. Her faith is there. Um, Right? Jesus reveals to her that he's the Messiah. And meanwhile, the disciples, they return with food. Somehow they pass each other because she's on her way so excited. She leaves her water jug and she goes back into the village. And it's like this, you got to meet this guy, Jesus. He, he knows all this stuff about me. And he just starts to talk about how amazing Jesus is. And, and then she leads him out, right? They all begin to follow her out of the village. Let's go meet this man, Jesus. Um, the, this, this fellow you've just been going on and on about. And, and it's at this time that, that Jesus says to his disciples, this is the moment. You've got to put in, like, what's really going on. He says, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for the eternal life. So, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Right? So it begins there. Jesus is just explaining normal farming. Uh, you plant, it grows, and then you, you harvest it. 
And, and then he's applying this idea of harvesting to the kingdom work of evangelism, of gospel proclamation. And he, and he says, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And remember, right, they're, they're at this thing. They can see the village in the distance. And, and as they lift up their eyes, right, what, what's happening at this moment? What did they see? They see the crowd being led by this woman back to Jesus. That's what they're seeing. That's the white fields for harvest that they laid their eyes on. He's telling them that the time for the, the harvest of, of souls in that sense is here. He says the sower, the one who plants, and the reaper, the one who harvests, they, they rejoice together. Right? This is presented, we tend to think farmers do both of those, and, and it's presented here like one might do it, another person does the, uh, the planting, another one might do the harvesting. Uh, Right? And so there's a couple of things I, I want to point out in this passage, and then a couple of things that apply to, to us as a church that we'll get to. First one is this. God and God alone causes growth, but, but there, is, there is the kingdom work of both planting and, and harvesting. And we can and should be doing both of these things, supporting both of these. Uh, Jesus sows through conversation, the, the Samaritan woman, right? It goes into her village, and, and she actually sows in a, a different way, just, just by esteeming who Jesus is. Let me tell you about this man, right? Just, just by enjoying him, praising who he is. A, a few weeks ago, uh, Laura and I were actually waiting for a seat at Taco Lucha, uh, and, and there was this woman that was also waiting. They have this great little waiting section outside now. Um, and, and anyway, she ordered some beer-looking drink, and she seemed to be enjoying it so much that I finally asked her, I was like, so what, what is that? Like, why are you so excited about your drink? Uh, and she said, it's called a Nancy, and then went on to describe it, and these are her words, right, that it's crummy old Milwaukee beer with pineapple juice in it, uh, which doesn't sound good to me at all. Um, but seeing her, in, apparently it's good. I'm getting some looks, like I've offended you. Um, it, it, to me, like watching her enjoy that so much made me really curious. What is that? And I, I really want to try that. Um, and I did try a version of it that Freegon actually brought yesterday, and I think that's what it's supposed to be. Anyway, it was good. This is not the point. Uh, anyway, just seeing her enjoyment in that really stirred my interest to know what's, what's going on there. And, and you see, our satisfaction in, in Jesus, our love for Jesus, our acknowledgement and praise of Jesus it invites others to wonder, right, what's, what's the hope they have? Why, why, do we, why do they still have joy when, when the whole world around us is just filled with anxiety and anger and rage and so many other things, right? We, we can and should live in a Jesus-esteeming manner similar to the way the, the Samaritan woman does after this encounter with Jesus. Not in some fake way in, in the sense of, oh, let's convince people to be interested by pretending that we're interested in Jesus. But, but truly, when we delight in Jesus, that, that serves as an invitation to learn more about who Jesus is. Another thing to note here is the Samaritan woman, she, she goes and sows to the people of her village just a mere moments after believing herself. She has no seminary degree. She's not been to evangelism training. She hasn't memorized any sort of presentation or question. She doesn't even have a, you know, one of those little tracks in hand. She's just got this changed heart, a redeemed soul, and a, and a love for Jesus. That's, that's it. And, and yes, I'm, I'm not ripping on evangelism training. That's great. You've got opportunity to go do that. That it's helpful. Uh, but if you know Christ as Savior, your Savior, you are right now actually equipped to share the gospel. Right now. The second thing I, I want you to gather from this text is, is there is sowing and there is reaping, and both of those are, are valuable. It's not just the harvesting. 
When we lived in Kansas City, I used to go riding on this Indian Creek bicycle ride. It's like 36 miles, and they kept adding more sections to it almost every time I was on it. Um, and I, on one ride near the end, uh, I come up on this guy oh, sitting at a picnic table. He's an older man. He's probably my age now, but I saw him as an old man. Uh, anyway, he's sitting next to this bicycle and just looking exhausted and uh, on the ride, I'd, I'd actually been thinking about evangelism and church planning and all these things going through my mind, what missions might you know, look like and all these kind of things. And I, I see him and I just begin to pray in my, he- in my head, God, give me wisdom in this moment. And I, I even started to wonder, you know, honestly, I mean, God, is this one of those moments where this is going to become one of these great evangelism stories that I'll share in a, a sermon someday? And, I, and I, I stopped and I just decided I'm going to talk to him and and I'm going through my head, what's the best question here? And I asked the most brilliant evangelism question ever. Uh, you might want to write this down so you can use it later. Uh, ready? Here's what I said. I said, is this the end of the trail? That's what I came up with. I nailed it. Uh, absolutely pathetic question. But you know, you're getting close to him. You've got to act quick in this moment. And I didn't. Uh, but the Lord used it. That, that dumb question actually led to a, a conversation with the man. He began to share how he had recently lost his, his job of, you know, many, many years. I can't remember the number. He talked about his, his son who had just graduated from K-State. Uh, we talked about Christianity, uh, he, about his intrigue. He had a, a daughter who was a, a faithful believer, and he couldn't make sense out of her, but she seemed happy, and it was just a, a conversation with, about that. Uh, he talked about the insane amount of travel that his job that he just lost actually um, required of him and, and how that cost him relationally with his, his children, his wife. Uh, I asked him questions and answered his questions. Some, some of it about God and, and you know, what it's like to be a pastor of the questions he had. I, I, I began to feel this weight on me and I wasn't sure where it was coming from, this sense that I, I needed to be you know, more bluntly, like here's how you come to you know, put your faith in Christ and here's how you can have forgiveness through Jesus, right? And, and that, this weight that I... I I just kind of felt if I walked away and I didn't say something like that, just really writing it really boldly to him, that somehow I had failed. And, and eventually, if I'm honest, the weight just lifted, and I began aware that, that, that I was going to have to force that in a really weird way, and that this, this was one of those moments that was more about sowing. It was more about this, this skeptic man meeting a Christian who was kind, who spoke openly about God, who, who showed genuine interest in his life and what's going on in his life and his welfare. And before we departed, you know, I'm letting him know that we'll be, you know, be praying for him. That he'd get a new job, that was something to provide, and he'd be able to restore these relationships with his family. And I, I, I rode away knowing that, that God had brought me into his life for a reason, only it was for sowing, it was for planting, it, it wasn't for harvesting. There, there are times for planting, and there are times for harvesting. May, may we rejoice to be used in the service of our Lord for both opportunities. And, and my point is this, right? Do be deliberate to do one or the other with, with the people that God has brought in, into your life. Do be deliberate. Plant or harvest. Have that in mind. Now, I know, you know, th- this all sounds more like evangelism. You might be thinking, I thought we were talking about church planning and missions. What is this? Uh, right? And here's the reason why I, I've kind of taken this direction. It's, it's because you are never going to have a heart for missions. You're never going to have a heart for church planting. See the value of it unless you first truly believe 
that the people you know, the people you work with, the people you interact with are in desperate need of a Savior. That it really matters. Really matters. Do you care about the souls of those that you interact with at work, at school, on, on post? Did you care? Even the people who are not like you, even the people that do not like you, and so, as a church, like we say, right, we, we wish to support missions and, and church planting with finances, with prayer, with people. That, that's our hope. That, that's our aim. And, and as we've been going through these, this is part of this, right, evaluating how have we actually done at this, which this, I'd say, we, we've done with, with very limited success. We do support missionaries. Zach and Ellie, Zach was a, a part of this this covenant community, this covenant family while during his college years. We, we, we consider RUF and, and crew missionaries, even though their mission field is just a mile from here, right, rather than across the globe. We, we financially support our, our presbytery, which in turn supports missionaries you've probably never heard of because we've not done a very good job of sharing that information with you. We, we financially support, and, and Travis and I are on the board of the Great Plains Church Planning Network, which is a great organization that goes multiple states around here. Uh, we both also serve as elders at uh, Kirk of the Plains. Kirk is, I believe, a Scottish word. It just means church. Um, Kirk of the Plains is the church plant in Andover, Kansas, uh, being led by Pastor Rick Franks. I do ask you to be praying for, the, for that work there. Uh, it's just outside of Wichita, if you're not familiar. With our presbytery, we've made attempts at beginning church plants in Topeka and Lawrence, but uh, different issues have prevented both of those from actually getting off the ground. Uh, I'll say this, if you know ordainable guys who wish to plant a church in Kansas, put us in touch. We want to talk to them. Even if they don't want to plant a church in Kansas, put us in talk with them. Um, <clears throat> right? Uh, including campus ministry, almost 9% of our budget goes to missions and church planning. We'd like to see that number higher. And Full honesty, we would also like to pay our bills and find a permanent home to, to meet in as a, as a church to gather and worship the Lord in. Still, we, we can do better as elders and as a congregation to support church and, and church planting and missions. Let me give you a, a few ways. Some of these are for you, some of these are for us. First, first is this one. Trust that in Christ your sins are forgiven. And I, I know you do. Most of you do, right? But know the depth of that. Feel the depth of that. Embrace it. And then desire that for others. Desire that for, for people you know, for strangers across, across the globe who are enslaved to their sin, who are shackled to Islam, who find hope in the hopelessness of secularism, humanism, and every other cucumber field idol of their hearts. Second, pray. In Matthew 9.37, our Lord says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray for college men and women to get a vision for missions, to spend a few years somewhere ministering as, as missionaries or spending an entire lifetime doing that, one or the other. Uh, pray for Zach and Ellie, right? We mention them often. They are, they are unable to get access to the people that they so desperately want to proclaim the gospel to. Um, they have real reason to believe right now that can be there by the new year. But I, I want you praying, asking the Lord that he would make a way that they would really get there. 
<clears throat> also, pray for John and Tricia. Pray for Jeremy and Zach. They're, they're here most Saturdays. Ask them about the ministry they're doing and, and pray for them. Uh, third, consider being a missionary yourself. Let's drop that one on you. Think about it. Uh, Fourth, being in a college town, the missions field of the world actually comes to us. It's a weird event that we have going here. There are students from all over the globe that come here. Uh, my own children in school have, you know, had people that speak nothing but Chinese next to them at times because their parents are at K-State. Um, you, we have a great opportunity here. If you want, you know, one way you can get involved, and I, we keep mentioning this in the email, but uh, helping international students, right? They're asking people to come on and befriend them. You have them to dinner sometimes. You have a conversation with them. And, and the conversation can be about anything. You're allowed to talk about Jesus all you want. They just want someone to speak English and answer questions about what is up with this weird country to them. Uh, consider doing that. There's actually an informational meeting in this building uh, next Sunday afternoon at 3.30 or something like that. If you're interested in that, let me know, and you can, I'll tell you where you register. It's free. Um, Fifth, give financially to missions, uh, to the church plant in Andover, to our RUF crew guys here. Six, go on a short-term mission. Uh, Redeemer, our sister church in Overland Park, Kansas, has actually invited us to join their annual summer mission trip. They're going to Monterey, Mexico at the end of June this year. It, it, you can go as an individual. You can go as a family. If that is something that interests you, I highly encourage these things. I've done them in the past. They are uh, fantastic memories. You can ask Rudy, who's visiting with us. He's been on a few of them. Um, Jake, so consider that. If you want more details, talk to me after. Uh, seventh, learn more about missions. Read books about missions and biographies of missionaries. Also, there's this fantastic class called Perspectives. Um, that is going on in this town. Some church will host it most semesters. It is not happening right now. Whenever that does show up and someone is hosting one at some point, I will put the information out. It is a fantastic class. Uh, eighth, uh, let's train up and support young men who will go on to study at seminary, be ordained in our presbytery and church, uh, plant churches in Kansas. Uh, guys like Jeremy, guys like Zach, um, John and I already have explained to them our wonderful plan for their life to plant churches here, uh, redeem church, or reform churches in Candace. So, you know, pray that the Lord would provide that. We can be a place for, for training and raising up guys that way. Uh, ninth, John already does it, but I, I should go preach and visit the Andover church plant, right? I fully confess. I've served as an elder down there for them a few years, and I've not gone down and, and, and preached them at any point. So I'm asking, uh, would one of you, just one of you, please incessantly remind me until I actually follow through with that? I should do that. Uh, tenth, we as elders should give more updates about missionaries and church plants happening in Kansas and through the network we're part of, the Great Plains Church Planning Network. Uh, we also want to have John and, and Jeremy share, even in the service, you know, ways that we can be praying and, and supporting the ministry they're doing on campus. Eleventh, uh, eleventh, uh, I guess you have to say, uh, just like it's been a great blessing to our deployed guys when you get in contact with them, Susie, you've done a great job with that. Uh, the, the same is true for, for missionaries. Uh, we can give you the contact of Zach and Ellie and, and others in the, in the presbytery. Just to contact them, encourage them. It can be really lonely on the mission field, uh, really isolated. So to make time for that. Twelfth, last one, um, be missional. And, and by that, I know there's a lot of stuff wrapped up in that term. By that, I mean simply, as ambassadors of Jesus, be intentional in your interactions with people. Pray and think about how to lead people to Jesus, how to... How to you know, just, just to be an example of what it looks like to be a Christian living in the world, 
that would make someone curious. Uh, and that means praying for and often with others, asking questions and, and stuff, right? It means kindness to the employee who totally messed up your order and is really not so nice. It means being generous to meet people's needs. It means asking people uh, about God. It means answering their questions. It means in, uh, inviting your, your fellow soldiers and classmates, your friends, to, to come worship with us or a Bible study or one of the fellowship events just to meet some other Christians. We, we will all joyfully welcome whoever you bring, right? No matter how weird your friend, invite them. We will welcome them. We will do a good job of that, right? We all promise to do so? All right, so then, in in our John passage, Jesus changed all of eternity for this small village. And sometimes we look back and we're like, that was neat, but but God is still working today. He's still working today all over the globe. The gospel is still going out. People are coming to faith. We see amazing things happening. Manhattan Prez in this gathering for worship is a a testament to our, our mighty God who is still saving sinners. May we, all of us, you and I, be in his service for the joy of the nations and for the glory of God's name. Let's pray. Mighty God, we thank you for the redemptive stories in this room. The stories of parents and friends and strangers who were bold enough to speak about you, to care. Would you give us such compassion for the lost that those stories do not end in this room? but to carry on in our homes, in our places of work and leisure. May our joy in you overflow such that we cannot keep quiet. That like the Samaritan woman, we would rush into the village and speak with joy of our Savior. That we would long for them to know Jesus like we know Jesus. Father, give us wisdom as a church to know how to best, best be used, how to best use finances and time, and our lives for the sake of of your glory in the nations. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.